What's up, from Rome Seat listeners? This is not Tyler Duke. This is Joey Weaver, your fearless leader, subbing in for Tyler, running point here on the podcast this week. Tyler's out with uh, bronchitis, it turns out, and so I will be here taking his place as the leader, so to speak, of this podcast. Joining, as always, is Kiefer Milligan. Kiefer, how's everything going? You, you holding up after the, uh, the atrocities that were last week? Well, it took me a while, but I'm doing great. It's good to hear. Um, so let's, without further ado, let's just start there. Um, obviously, that was a very rough and generally just kind of embarrassing loss on national yeah. television last week. Um, you somehow managed to make your way through rewatching like a solid 50 minutes of football from that game, which, first of all, is an extremely commendable thing. And I feel like <laughs> we need to give you like a medal for that. But um, upon rewatching, what were some of the big things you saw from the offense that really just weren't working? And then there was the one drive in the th- third quarter that kind of bled into the fourth quarter where they were moving the ball well. What changed that you saw that started to work against the Clemson front? Well, Clemson was definitely taking advantage of their athleticism and their athleticism advantage. And what they were doing in a lot of situations was kind of sitting back and waiting for Justin Thomas to make a decision. And then they were attacking whichever decision he made because they could react to it fast enough and still get out there. I think I saw one play where Justin Thomas pitched and the guy who forced him to pitch still made the tackle on the pitch. So that's the caliber of athlete we were playing against, and it showed. And otherwise on offense, you really saw... The guards got outclassed badly, and the Clemson defense was taking special attention to uh, Freddie Burden to make sure he could not get to the second level ever. So it was really a perfect storm in the early goings of everything that can go wrong with the option went wrong. You know, We needed to play a perfect game. We played a sloppy game. And on top of it, we got outclassed at every athletic position. When things started working a little bit better towards the end, we, hard, we started to hit Clemson in the mouth. Clemson's big, Clemson's strong, and Clemson is fast. But when, when they're playing that style that allows, that allows them to sit back and use their athleticism to their advantage, then in quick hitters like the dive in the belly, which is what we were going to, started to pay off. And well, Dedrick Mills running like a man possessed also paid off. So. That was kind of what started to work towards the end, and it frustrated me that we didn't keep with it, to be quite honest. I really thought that we needed to keep going, except we went to trick plays and it didn't work. So, But if there's one positive to be had, we took a defense that was sitting back and we made them pay for it, which is something we never did last year. So that alone helped cope with watching it again. Yeah, that was, uh, man, the the one drive, you're right. I mean, that was the one. They started moving the ball. It was Dedrick Mills. I mean, I think that was like a 65-yard drive, and Dedrick Mills had at least like 50 of those yards. I mean, he that was, that was the theme of the drive, and it makes total sense that if they're sitting back on their heels waiting for something to happen and then attacking it because they're fast enough to do that, it makes sense to fire off the ball and just go for simple stuff where there isn't a read and it's just a simple fire forward and push them back and get yards that way. Um, yeah, Clemson's defense is insanely talented. If you if you go and look at kind of what they've done in recruiting and and what they're putting out there on the field, and, you know, one of the one of the best, if not the single best defensive coordinator in the country in Brent Venables obviously had them ready to go for that. 
Um, not to mention that the offense did not help themselves at all. There were, especially up front, there were a lot of missed blocks. And, and I don't know about you. I mean, I know that the the thing that's kind of come up time and time again this week in interviews and in the Paul Johnson radio show on Monday and post-game press conference and, and all this is like, the, the, you know, guys were blocking, didn't know who to block or they were going to the wrong assignment, you know, whatever they were doing. And it's just, it's disturbing and it's it's frustrating that this is like a, continuing theme that, I mean, this is something we heard a lot last year, too, and I mean, I, I haven't played, you know, a, a wealth of organized football in my life, but man, like, how long does it take for people to figure out who to block, you know, and you're talking about some guys who have been around longer, too, like Freddie Burden and Shamir Devine and things like this, and so I, I don't know if you could shed any light on that. I mean, is that something that really should be happening at this point or is everyone else right to think that this has gone on way too long oh it has gone on way too long if you look at look at Paul Johnson's past teams none of them took this long to figure it out and arguably they were less talented players especially in the blocking positions but hey, sometimes this this offense is complicated I will give them that and the blocking assignments change based on what the defense gives you constantly even for the same play so there's a I think defensive coordinators are taking it upon themselves to shift guys around at the snap I've seen a whole lot of defensive linemen shifting constantly back and forth and trying to screw up the counts uh, to you know figure out okay who's the pitch man who's the option man uh, mm-hmm. or who's the dive man and I, I think it really has had an effect and for some reason after all this time we have not been able to respond to a teaching with a teaching method that can fix this. And that is what is troubling to me. But the other thing that doesn't make sense to me about that is Paul Johnson hasn't been coaching for how long has he been coaching? He's been he's been 30? saying nineteen eighty five, so that would be thirty one years now. Someone would have already figured this out in thirty one years. Yeah, this can't be revolutionary, right? I mean this is No. Simple. And moving guys around to the snap has been a you know, it's since the dawn of time. So yeah. uh, that's something I just don't get. Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. I mean, if that's if that's all it takes, then damn, we've seen some really dumb defensive coordinators for the last eight years of this offense, and yeah, you know, for two and a half decades before that, for you know, the Paul Johnson was coaching against. So they've got to get something figured out. It's it's maddening just to watch this and to see the the problem just continue to exist in the post Shaq Mason era. Um, it's it's really frustrating. Um, I, I will say that Clemson's defense is probably about as talented as any defensive unit in the country this year, and and I'm really curious to see what they'll do against a high-powered Louisville offense this weekend. But we'll we'll get to that here in a little bit. Uh, we've got a reader question that kind of addresses that game. Um, as far as the defense for Georgia Tech, um, started out slow, gave up uh, two touchdowns and a missed field goal in their first three drives, and did a decent job of shoring it up from there. I, I, I told people, I mean, I thought it was actually a reasonably gutsy effort from the defense, especially mm-hmm. going down as quickly as they did, not getting any help from the offense. Clemson, I think, is like a, I mean, they're a hurry-up tempo offense. They held the ball for 20 minutes in the first half against a team that likes to milk the clock. I mean, that is so telling. And, and so for the defense to kind of put the effort they did in and only give up three points in the second half, I, I was pretty pleased with that, and I don't know about you, but I thought that was pretty good from them. I will say that Clemson didn't uh, 
take what we gave them, I think, enough. And I thought was something, I think, that led to them not doing as well as they should have. Some of the play calling, Deshaun Watson did not have a good deep ball in the day, yet they kept trying to do it. And, yeah, I get it. You have Mike Williams, and we don't have anybody that can cover him. But we're also not covering anybody within five yards of the line of scrimmage. So if it was me, I would be taking that every time. So that was – it was good in the run game. I was very impressed by the run defense. Uh, I think I actually write about wrote about this week this this week in my article. But I thought Rodrick Chungong really stepped up in the run game and has been good in the run game for the past two years and has really been underappreciated as a player. He he can he can hold an edge better than anybody else on this entire roster. Um, yeah, he doesn't add too much in the pass rush. I'll I'll give you that. But he held the edge very well. I thought our tackles played a lot better than I was expecting them to. Um, and now Clemson's interior line has had some issues. But overall, I was pretty pleased with the run side of the defense. The pass, pass defense still gave me some headaches and could have been worse had Clemson not shot themselves in the foot in that department. Yeah, and they started out, I mean, those first couple, three drives, I mean, that was where they were making their money was these little five-yard out routes that for whatever reason, Ted Roof's secondary is still never in position to cover uh, after all this time. We've been saying this since he got here, but, um, you know, eventually, again, they, they kind of shored up, and like you said, I mean, they got some help. Watson was not great on deep balls, which is surprising. You know, a guy who's usually very accurate from the pocket. Um, you know, you saw a couple of, like, fourth and ones in Georgia Tech territory that you just have a feeling that Clemson could have gotten if they really wanted to. Uh, but they just didn't go for it, and they punted to try to pin pin our offense back deep. Um, there was so there were things that kind of helped out with that that Clemson was doing to hurt themselves. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I thought the defensive line played really well against almost exposing what could be a bit of a weakness in Clemson's offensive line. Um, I thought that the the secondary in particular did a pretty good job of tackling. I think Lawrence Austin and Corey Griffin both had really good days. Corey Griffin mm-hmm. was all over the place making tackles, especially early on. Unfortunately, also knocking balls out at the end zone of your teammates' hands. Yeah, forcing fumbles just with the wrong team. Yeah. Um, and, man, that play I thought was – it was just so telling, right? Mm-hmm. Like when when you go into halftime and you're able to say, you know, your team's best play of the first half gave the other team two points. <laughs> Snake bit. Yeah, and I mean, I, I told people too, I thought that was a nine-point swing right there because if Lance mm-hmm. Austin catches that ball, takes a knee, you know, you get a touchback, Georgia Tech's going to run three plays, maybe try to bleed the clock out, go into the halftime, you're down 14 nothing, And that's way more manageable and way more... Um, it's way better optics, I guess you could say, than going in and... Now, getting the ball knocked out by your own guy, getting a safety on one of the weirdest plays you'll see in college football all year, and then you give the ball back to Clemson and they march it down the field, 10 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. And now all of a sudden what could be a 14 nothing game is now a 23 nothing game, uh, which is very, very different. So that was, man. I, and so, but in, in everyone's defense, I don't think it was a boneheaded play. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think Lance was just acting on instinct there you know it was so it was so shallow in the end zone he took like two steps and then kind of realized where he was in the field yeah and we saw you can definitely make a mistake taking a knee too late at mm-hmm. that point on the field I mean we saw it happen with Orwin Smith all those years ago 
on that kickoff that still haunts me to this day. So I don't blame him for trying to take it out. Just the fact that Corey Griffin came over and knocked it out just yeah, that that was the when I threw my hands up and said it's just not it's not 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 our day. Yeah, and that it was just that was kind of the theme all night. I mean, you could kind of tell after about two or three Clemson drives and two or three Georgia Tech drives into the game, you saw exactly where it was going to go. And and again, props to the defense for keeping it as close as they did. But overall, a stinker. Um, I I think Clemson is arguably the best, like most complete team on the schedule. Um, I think they're pretty easily the best, most complete defense you'll see on the schedule. And so hopefully things are looking up from here. All right. If nothing else, then we'll, we'll move on here. Uh, we've got some reader questions we're going to use to try to finish out the Clemson game and then try to get into this uh, upcoming Miami game. So we'll start out. Uh, Kiefer, we'll make this quick. So this comes from Bowden Rambler. Uh, so it says, we've got a new AD, as everyone knows. Todd Stansbury obviously hired last week and introduced the day of the game, which was interesting. Uh, attendance is already down. Clemson had way too much orange in the stadium. I believe that the Miami game is pivotal. Do you believe that if we lose that game with all that I listed above, that Johnson is on the hot seat? You've got 10 seconds. Go. No. Record time. We, Good stuff. <laughs> now, you're going to say something else there? We're paying three basketball coaches. We don't need to be paying two football coaches. The math doesn't work out, and if there's one thing we understand as tech fans, it's math. That is dead on. Spot on. Um, basically, if if Paul Johnson is not the head coach at Georgia Tech in 2017, it'll be on his own accord. You know, he'll make the decision to retire or go elsewhere. But as of now, I mean, it, at minimum, I would figure like a 95% chance that he's the head coach next year. So uh, just go ahead and and prepare yourself for that. Uh, let's go down to, uh, let's see, CT Jacket. Um, so CT Jacket had a few good ones, actually. Um, and he had two that were kind of related. And I'm going to split them up here, actually, because they kind of, one relates to Georgia Tech and Clemson, one relates to uh, Georgia Tech and Miami. It says, if Clemson beats Louisville soundly on Saturday, does that change your perception of Thursday's loss? To me, yes, because that means Clemson is one heck of a team. Uh, and to me, if they beat Louisville soundly, then only Bama is the only team I really see in their way from here on out. And Louisville has arguably the best player in the country in Lamar Jackson. So if they can bottle him up, then, you know, he's – I think I saw some stat today where he's like on the – he himself was like on the leaderboard for FBS teams for touchdowns. Uh, you bottle that up, and, and that's that's a good team. To me, it's reminiscent. That Louisville team so far has been reminiscent of what I saw at Auburn with Cam Newton in 2010. You just got the best player on the field by a mile, and you just go play and win. Give um, that guy the ball. Yeah, give that guy the ball. He'll score. Done. You lose. So yeah. that'll, that'll say a lot about Clemson if they can stop that kind of threat at the college level I'm right there with you um, right now Louisville has no, nobody has at, at like given any semblance of even coming close to stopping them and I don't I mean Clemson might be more talented on defense than Florida State was but they're not far and away more talented um, and with what Louisville did to Florida State I mean 
if Clemson can make it happen, I mean, that's that's definitely a statement. And like you said, I mean, I was convinced certainly by like mid-October last year that Clemson was about the most complete team in the country. And I, I was predicting them to go to the playoff. Uh, I didn't know how far they were going to go, as, as obviously as far as they went. But um, we haven't quite seen it as much this year so far. But make no mistake, I mean, they are still damn good. I think that they still have the number one quarterback on the board in the NFL draft next year. They've got an insane level of talent on defense and, and a great defensive coordinator. Like, Clemson's a good team. So, yes, if they, if they can go out and beat a team that has looked unstoppable thus far, even against good competition, yeah, I think that makes you feel a lot better about what they did to Georgia Tech. All right. Um, let's see. And then the other one was, and I guess this is marginally related. This is kind of a generic uh, Georgia Tech football question. So do you think that changing coaches, if it happened, without changing the underlying structure of the football department will result in meaningful differences on the field? In other words, can a recruiter the caliber of Dabo Swinney actually recruit to his reputation without a giant staff. So basically we're talking about facilities, staff, and, and support that the program gets you know, financially, fan-wise, everything like that. If none of that changes, is hiring a different coach going to really make a difference here, Keeper? Absolutely not. One thing Clemson did was they handed Dabo Sweeney when they hired him, or really a couple years ago, they handed him a blank checkbook. And he knows how to cash those checks. That is what Dabo, or Dabo Sweeney is good at. Honestly, I've never been all that impressed with him as a football coach, but he knows how to make the money he gets count. But he needs a lot of it to make it work. And Clemson has gone all in with him. The fans are all in with him. The athletic department's all in with him. And they have built a monster on a mountain of cash. That level of support is something I don't ever expect to see out of Georgia Tech fans just by their very nature. Uh, they just never seem to go all in. There's always skeptics. There's always people criticizing this and that. Uh, so I, I just don't see that ever happening here. And the other thing when I saw this question I thought about, given what Georgia Tech has been forever as an athletic association and from a fan base perspective, why would a recruiter of Dabo's cal- caliber, if we found one out of you know, the lower levels and brought him up, and we found out he's just as good, why would he stay? That's the question I have. He'd go to a blue blood. So I just, you know, you people point at Tom Herman. You know, he stayed at Houston. Mm, I don't know that he's going to be there forever. And you know, Houston also went all in on him too. Uh, so unless Georgia Tech has some kind of major shift at the athletic department level, that's not the solution. Yep. And I, I think the other, the other piece of this that has to be considered is the, the academic arm, mm-hmm. um, which I, I don't know the inner workings of it. All I know is that from what I've heard and, and what I understand is when whenever the athletic department needs some help with something of, you know, kind of – altering programs to make them a little more athlete friendly, you know, open up the curriculum a little bit. Um, they haven't really been met with open arms. Mm. Um, there's not really a whole lot of willingness to change there. And so it's another one of those things that, you know, it's, it's a narrow curriculum and it's something that Georgia Tech prides itself on. And it's something that hurts it in recruiting. Frankly, that's just, that's what it is. Um, 
And so it's, uh, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I mean, it, nothing can change without uh, like a complete overhaul. And I think that's something that Todd Stansberry is capable of here. Um, I think that the big thing is finding a way to fundraise. And like you said, I mean, Clemson put up a whole bunch of money on this, and Georgia Tech fans just by nature are kind of fickle. And so you're never going to get tech fans to front a whole bunch of money. However, I think if you have a whole bunch of success, you could get them to, in return, kind of pay for it. So you got to find some way to get successful to then stay successful versus getting successful by getting money off of people you know, before you're successful, yeah. so to speak. That was always my my vision for Paul Johnson has always been that he elevates us to the point as a fan base and as an athletic association that we can then go and do those types of things. Unfortunately, that's not happening. After 2014, I had hopes, but we'll see. There's a long future ahead. Yeah, so those questions from CT Jacket. We'll go to one more from uh, Yellow Jacket Heritage that I thought this was a good one. Uh, For the recruits that visited the game, how bad does the Clemson loss hurt? I mean, it doesn't help. It certainly doesn't help, especially with how badly we got embarrassed. Uh, but I don't think many of the recruits that we're really going after hard were competing with specifically Clemson for, so that's a good thing. But you, you never want to have them show up and get embarrassed, uh, especially with the amount of Clemson fans that were in the stadium and the fact that it, it, for a night game at Georgia Tech, it just didn't seem to be very lively. Uh, so uh, a negative, but I don't think it's. I don't think we're going to lose – a bunch of recruits over it maybe one or two yeah um i think yeah you and i both watched on tv so we weren't in the stadium to kind of experience it but certainly from what i could tell it was not the most lively atmosphere and i think clemson did a great job of killing it from the beginning basically Mm -hmm. with taking control of the game immediately um but I, I do think the fans kind of had a good showing of staying around. I mean, you're, you're watching the game into the third and in the fourth quarter, and Georgia Tech looks like total crap. There were still a ton of fans there. Um, and so I, I thought that was kind of helpful. Um, and the other thing is I, I don't think that a lot of Georgia Tech's recruits are going to be swayed by win-loss just because so much of Georgia Tech's recruiting pitch is not really football-related. It's so much, you know, what we can set you up for career-wise, you know, all this – um, plus, a lot of these guys are competitive enough that they, you know, if they start seeing a team that's struggling, they see early playing time. Which, so I mean, it's kind of just w- which angle are you looking at it. Ultimately, I don't, I don't think it's a big deal, especially from a one-game kind of perspective, and certainly also from a weeknight game where a lot of guys have practice, they've got games the next day, and they can't really travel in. So, I don't think it's really the worst thing in the world at all. Um, Last one, so we had a couple of questions from Sully GT and from GTJC talking about going to games with certain people and wearing certain stuff for certain <laughs> games, basically getting into all this, uh, all the, uh, oh, what was the word for it? I forgot it already. Superstitious, getting superstitious. That's what, yeah. Uh, Kiefer, are you much for superstitions and what role do they play in your fanhood? <laughs> Well, actually, in 2014, uh, I think for the Miami game, I ended up giving a fraternity brother my jersey because it was the whiteout and he didn't have anything white to wear. We won that game, and I told him, guess what? You're wearing that for the rest of the season. And uh, that, it worked out. So, yeah, superstition's always been kind of a big thing, even when I was little, before I was a Georgia Tech fan. Uh, It's been a 
big part. So, uh, you know, disown your brother and burn the shirt. That's my advice. I'd like to see some wins. Thank you. Yeah, you do what you got to do. Um, I was watching the 2014 Georgia game here in the apartment in Houston, and, uh, you know, my, my now wife was, you know, watching it with me, and then she got up and went into the, the bedroom to fold laundry or something, and good stuff started happening, and she's like, what's going on? I was like, stay in there. <laughs> and certainly enough, you know, she watched the rest of the game for the bedroom, um, and they won. It was great. Um, and then that was the same season that I watched basically every game in the same shirt, sitting in the same chair. So I've got a new routine. Um, yeah, I'm, I, hey, whatever works, like that Bud Light commercial. So, um, you know, whatever you got to do, you do it. it. This is bigger than you. Just know that. Uh, anyways, um, okay, so let's get into this Miami game this weekend here with a few more questions. Um, so we'll go back to CT Jacket. So we'd asked previously if Clemson beats Louisville on Thursdays at, or, or on Saturdays, that change your perception. On the other hand, if Clemson loses to Louisville, but Georgia Tech beats Miami, does that change your perception, Kiefer? Well, uh, yes. And I've told people before the season that with the way the schedule plays out, it's kind of weird. I don't think we're going to know who this team is until after week five. And here we are. We beat three teams that don't look very good, who have very bad offenses, and some of them had pretty good defenses. And then we got stomped by a superior team. So what does that tell you? Well, it could be a wide range of things. Miami is going to tell us a lot more about where we are. If we get stomped by Miami, then I lose a lot of hope. If we beat Miami, I'll have a lot of hope that, you know, the seasons we've beaten Miami have been pretty good seasons. So that's been the big indicator most years that we're going to have a good season is if whether or not we beat Miami. So I, I would definitely weigh a Miami win over a Clemson loss in this situation. Like we said before, Louisville may be a team of destiny with an athlete that can do no wrong. Yeah, I think Clemson is probably, again, it is the most complete and talented team on the schedule. Um, and so I, I, even at this point, I'm taking it a little bit with a grain of salt in the sense of, you know, Georgia Tech looked that bad, but I don't know of that many more teams, you know, that many teams that could make them look that bad. Now, if they do, like you said, I am extremely concerned. Um, but I was looking up, you know, defensive rankings last year, teams that Georgia Tech has played so far, obviously Mercer, FCS, not really included in this. Last year's number one team, Boston College, in yards per play, number 17, Clemson, number 33, Vanderbilt, and now Miami was number 86. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't, I mean, I don't know what to make of that, but basically just looking at how things went for these teams last year, Georgia Tech has played three of the toughest defenses it's going to see all year. Um, now, again, I don't know how much we believe that with Vanderbilt and Boston College certainly seems to have degraded since we last saw them. But uh, in any case, I, I, I'm with you. I need to see one more game against what I think will be kind of an average defense uh, for Georgia Tech's schedule to figure out like how I feel about all this. Um, and that actually kind of brings us to our last question from Sully GT. Basically says, how does Miami's defensive line compare to Clemson's, and will we be able to move the ball on Saturday? So I, I've done a little bit of research on this and have my own opinions, but Kiefer, I'll let you start here, depending on how, uh, how knowledgeable you feel here. 
All right, I haven't done a whole lot of research on Miami's defense. So I'll give them that. I'll, I'll, I'll give. I will admit that uh, their linebackers, I think, are very young. I heard. But they have three what freshman I, linebackers? Whew, okay, that if they have assignment issues, that's going to be a big deal. The the thing that I do know is that I don't think we're ever going to see something like Clemson's defensive line ever again. I used the term before the Clemson game, freaks. And I think it's it's very appropriate. I think number 94, don't even know what his name is, uh, but number 94 on the Mills run that got called back, he was running down the field with Mills. And that's kind of when I realized, oh, we're, we're outmatched. <laughs> there, you know, they had Dexter Lawrence, 340 pounds, can move like a normal person who doesn't weigh 340 pounds. Got guys running down the field with Diedrich Mills. Got guys in the backfield attacking the mesh before Justin Thomas can even think. Nobody else has that. Nobody. Not even Bama. So, you know, I. it won't be as bad for Miami uh, from the defensive line standpoint, but will we be able to move the ball? They always have some good athletes in the back end. So it may not be easy. Let me run a couple of these things by you. Um, so just looking at last year's, last year's defense and particularly like ranking players by number of tackles, you know, number amount of involvement, we'll say. Miami from last year's defense is losing f- between, and I'll, I'll point this out, between graduation slash, you know, aging out and uh, dismissals because there were like three of those. Yep. Miami is losing three of their top four defensive linemen and their top five linebackers. Five. They run four Top. three, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. So you're basically <laughs> almost losing your entire two deep at linebacker. Um, plus the the top safety Dion Bush and three more in the secondary is Artie Burns. Depth, first depth round. Artie Burns, Dallas Crawford, and Tracy Howard. Two corners, two safeties gone. Although only one of those really was in the top four of, of tackles. So that said, there's not a ton of experience on the Miami defense, nor is their talent anywhere near what, what Clemson has. Now, granted, it's Miami. They do recruit some blue-chip guys, and that's to be expected, and that's fine. But it's, it's lower, you know, low to mid four-star guys and a whole bunch of three-star guys versus plenty of five-stars and a whole bunch of four-stars, you know. So that's, it's, it is a noticeable step-down in talent. Now... Including that, the fact that they are playing for Manny Diaz, a defensive coordinator who has had very suspect results in his various like stops in college mm-hmm. football. I don't know that you can ever remember a really dominant Manny Diaz defense. Uh, and also noteworthy, I can't remember who said it. Somebody said it in the last week or so. Is Manny Diaz hasn't coached against this system since like 2003. So, obviously a little bit of brushing up that had to be done. Um, there's, And this is where I get to this point, Kiefer, is there's a lot of room to think that this offense should be able to move the ball. And if they can't, I'll be really, really worried. Yep. Ultimately, I mean, for this game this weekend, the offense is going to have to control the tempo of the game. And if they can't do that, Miami can easily turn this into a track meet and they'll win the game without a question. That's every year they turn into a track meet, they win. Every year we grind it out, we win. It's it's been the story of the entire series since Paul Johnson has gotten here. Unfortunately, we've seen a lot of track meets. Mm-hmm. And if you look back that. at the 2014 win, how did Georgia Tech win that game? Be back. Held on to the ball for 40 minutes. Yep. 
there were I think there were a grand total of like 15 possessions between the two teams, um, and they won 28-17. So Brad Kaya, very talented. He's got all sorts of talent on the skill positions. Offensive line is is looking pretty good, fine I guess. Uh, the defense is plenty of reason to think that they're suspect, and I realize that they're number one nationally in yards per play right now, and blah 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 blah. But who they played? This, uh, exactly, exactly. They've played Florida A&M, Florida Atlantic, and Appalachian State. Only one of which qualifies as like a like an interesting team. <laughs> and even then, Appalachian State, since moving to FBS three years ago, hasn't beaten a Power Five team. So, or even really come close. So, um, they're they're a, a number one defense in the country right now, but based on what? And so I'm, I'm very skeptical, and for that reason, too, I also have high expectations for the offense of this game. And if they can't rise to the occasion and get it done, uh, I'm very concerned, and I'll have some scathing words for my column next week. Yep, for sure. Um, what, what are your expectations for this game, Kiefer? And I realize it's dangerous to ask about expectations from a Georgia Tech fan. Oh, well, I generally have the same expectations for Miami every year. I expect them to have a few extremely good athletes at the skill positions, guys that we can't really handle one-on-one, and I expect that we will get torched at least once. Uh, that's how it, always what I expect from the defense against Miami. Offensively, we generally move the ball on them. They generally don't play the option super well. They just tend to rely on their athleticism to make plays when it counts. And that's generally how we lose to Miami. So I generally expect a little bit of that. In order to win, you have to minimize that. So what I'm looking for is Diedrich Mills. That's how you minimize them using their athleticism, which is what we did against Clemson. You hit him in the mouth with his own dive in the belly. On defense, this may be the one game all year where Ted Drew's system actually makes sense <laughs> because they have really good athletes out on the edge that can burn you and they don't really that's how they've beaten us in the past is by burning us deep not by dinking and dunking us well you gotta be you gotta wonder too with some of these heavy skill guys like how patient can they be if they, if they can't win battles over the top are they really patient enough and disciplined enough to work their way down the field with underneath stuff and then finally punch it in the end zone. Um, I haven't really so, watched a running game, so I'm not really sure. Yeah, and they've got good running backs. Don't don't make any yeah. mistake there. Joe Yerby, Mark Walton, Gus Edwards, all very good players that any one of them can beat you if you let them. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. you got to control the game. I mean, you got to get four and five yards of play from Dietrich Mills. And I'll, and I'll tell you the... The scenario that I've been thinking about now, even before the Clemson game a little bit maybe, but certainly in the aftermath, picture this. Either Miami wins the toss and defers, or Georgia Tech wins the toss and elects to receive. Get the ball, go down, score a touchdown. Give it back to Miami, get a stop. Get the ball back, score another touchdown. Go 14-0 on Miami, a team that has seen absolutely nothing that even resembles uh, any sort of turmoil this year, how do they respond? If you punch them in the mouth out of the gate, how do they respond? I don't know. Maybe they respond just fine. They've got a good quarterback and all sorts of stuff again, but that's something I'm very curious if, if Georgia Tech can make that happen. You'll find out real quick if Mark Rick has control of that team. 
<laughs> well, statistics would tell us he doesn't, but, um, you know, that's fine. Um, anyways, um, all right. Any final thoughts before we, uh, we let everyone go here, Kiefer? Honestly, I'm just hoping to hit somebody in the mouth. Um, I've missed the, the dive. I've missed being able to just run and impose the will. I don't know that it'll happen, and I don't know that we have the personnel to make it happen. But, man, do I want to see it happen. So that's, that's what I'm looking for. I have simple, simple things I want to see this Saturday, and that's all I want. I need the offense to look good. Yeah. I don't, I don't even need the team to win if the offense looks good. I'll feel way better if it does. And if it looks a lot more like Clemson than it did, you know, against Vanderbilt, um, I'm going to be very concerned, mostly just because I, I think that this is a defense that is able to be taken advantage of, maybe not totally beaten. Um, but I, I was uh, I am personally invested in Georgia Tech going over six and a half wins this year. <laughs> And if they if they can't look decent against a seemingly vulnerable Miami defense, uh, I'll be very very worried about the uh, the long term performance of said investment. We'll just say. Um, so Kiefer, where, where are you uh, where are you watching this weekend? You watching at your apartment? You watching at a bar? What are you doing? Yeah, my mom's coming to visit, so uh, we're gonna watch this game, and then well, she's a UGA alum, so I'll be watching that too. Very good, very good. Well, they got a, a quite the game on their hands as well with Tennessee come to town. Yep, might be another another uh, therapeutic game watching experience for Georgia Tech fans. You might, you never know. Um, yeah, I myself, I'll be watching from from the apartment, but I'll certainly be around Twitter and around the blog. So, if you guys aren't at the game, uh, certainly try to get there if you can. But if you're not, uh, definitely hop into the game thread and talk with us uh, as the game is going on. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at FTRS Kiefer. And uh, you're also missing Tyler Duke, who's at Duke SBN. Um, so hit us up as we're uh, watching the game on Saturday if you if you have the ability to do so. But Kiefer, appreciate you joining me. Have a good rest of your week and enjoy the game on Saturday. All right. Always a pleasure. Sounds good. All right, guys. Enjoyed it. Go Jackets. We'll talk to you guys again next week, hopefully with Tyler fully healthy. Talk to you then.